This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. The novel coronavirus continues to spread with 105 confirmed cases here in Illinois and 6,500 deaths worldwide. Both numbers are expected to rise, and with each day, new questions come up about the virus and how we should be adapting. With me to help provide some answers are Beth Squires, professor and public health coordinator at Northern Illinois University, and Dr. Robert Murphy, infectious disease physician at Northwestern Medicine. Professor Squires, Dr. Murphy, welcome to Reset. Thank you. Hello, thank you. So let's start with just some basics. We're hearing the recommendation to wash your hands more often, but should we also be regularly cleaning surfaces? I'm thinking about doorknobs, tables, light switches, the remote control. Professor Squires. Uh, Yes, definitely. Um, Those are those common area types. So um, definitely um, you should be washing those uh, regularly um, as you can. Dr. Murphy, a big question I keep seeing is how long does the coronavirus live on a surface? It depends on the surface. Um, On a surface such as like cardboard, uh, it only lasts a few hours. Um, But on very hard surfaces like stainless steel, there's actually reports that the virus may live as much as nine days. That is good information to have. And what are the best cleaning solutions to use for surfaces? The good thing is that this uh, virus is very easy to uh, to disinfect. Uh, just soap and water uh, for 20 seconds on your hands or a, a surface uh, will kill it. Uh, any kind of sanitizer or a cleaner uh, will be effective. Sanitizers with at least 60% alcohol content uh, are effective. Uh, Diluted bleach solutions are effective. Um, Basically, all the uh, disinfectants that you can buy in a a store are effective. And and is coronavirus more contagious than the flu, or is that even a relevant question? It's a very good question. Uh, We don't really know. One thing about coronavirus uh, is that there is no immunity in the community. So what does that mean? It means nobody has ever had this before, and so nobody is protected. Nobody has, uh, uh, has antibodies at all. With the flu, many people have had the flu. Even though they're different strains, there's often some protection uh, given uh, with people who've had past flus. So um, we're not really sure. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, with this epidemic. And do we know definitively how it's transmitted at this point? Yes, we do. Uh, this is the good news is it is not transmitted by aerosols. In other words, it's just not in the air we breathe. Fortunately, that would be really uh, quite even much more deadly than it is. It's uh, transmitted by infectious droplets. So when a person coughs or sneezes or they have a runny nose, if they touch their hands, 
the hands get contaminated, and then the hand touches a doorknob or uh, some other hard surface, uh, and then another person touches that, it gets on their hands, and that's how it's spread. Or if somebody just coughs directly on you. Let's go to the phones. We have John on the near west side. John, what's your question? Hi. My question concerns the hand-washing regimen. I know that soap and water for uh, 20 seconds is suggested. Also, alcoholic solutions, antiseptic solutions with the alcohol content greater than 60%. What about vinegar? I went into a CVS the other day, and there was no alcohol left. And I was just wondering, uh, is, is a vinegar as, as an acid uh, uh, an acceptable alternative? John, thanks for that question. Dr. Murphy? Um, I'm not really sure if anyone's really looked at vinegar, but I know diluted bleach works and the soap and water works and the alcohol works. Um, but uh, vinegar is a little bit tough on your skin, too. Uh, that would not be a good thing. And and just as we're talking about skin, one of the things I'm noticing as I'm washing my hands incessantly is the fact that my skin is getting very dry. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of just skin health at this point? Keep your skin healthy, but this virus doesn't, even if you have a crack in your skin, the virus is not going to get in through your skin. Uh, unlike Ebola virus, which is the last epidemic, big epidemic we had, uh, you know, that could get through the skin. So you had to be really careful. And, and then that thing was so deadly that we were telling people to watch, wash their hands with diluted bleach. Mm. Uh, so, you know, take care of yourself, but just it's common sense. So we got a, a tweet from one of our listeners who wanted to know, what do I do if my special needs adult children catch COVID-19? We don't have enough bathrooms to have them use a separate bathroom. How can my wife and I protect ourselves while caring for them? We're avoiding almost all outside contact, but any advice for him, Dr. Murphy? If the child has COVID-19, that is a problem. They're going to need training uh, from healthcare professionals how to protect themselves. So the parents should should reach out to healthcare professionals yeah, about the best to ways because to because they are really going to have to be careful. They're going to have to use, have use um, protective uh, measures uh, to protect themselves. Okay, thank you for that. Last hour, the director of the Chicago Department of Public Health, Allison Arwady, was also answering questions. And here's what she said about whether it's possible to be infected twice by the COVID-19 virus. Most likely people are not able to be infected with this twice. Um, I can't say that 100%. There are studies um, about this. Um, But we think that when someone has been infected, uh, they then, um, assuming that they recover, which the great majority of people do, they would then be um, immune to reinfection. So some guidance there from Dr. Arwady. But another question I see people asking is how much distance should we be keeping between one another as we're trying to to stay safe? Professor Squires? Um, yeah, I've been uh, following the CDC recommendations, so at least three to six feet. Um, and so that would be ideal um, if you, um, you know, if, if that is all possible. Now, because there is a range of severity with COVID-19, is part of the issue that people's symptoms may be very mild, and so they don't necessarily recognize that they're they're ill even though they are and they are contagious absolutely okay. yeah i would i would agree with that okay let's go back to the phones we have helen helen you're a senior in burr ridge what's your question uh, yes uh, i had my flu shot about a few weeks a few months ago and i'm supposed to get my second pneumonia uh, booster uh soon and i'm wondering if if it's safe to to get it yes Okay. It's a good it's a good idea to get it. 
Okay, great. Okay, great. We got another Twitter question. This one from Leah Lopez. She's asking when and where to test. If we are exposed but show no symptoms, do we wait until we spike a fever? We had a family member potentially exposed, and we still don't know where to test after many calls to different doctors and hospitals. Any guidance for Leah? Well, first, you know, your primary care physician, um, if they have one, to see what the protocols are and, you know, within insurance. If not, then your um, local health department and um, call the main number and see what the procedures are. A follow-up question regarding testing, this one from Katie Rose. She says, I've read that people cannot get testing without a recommendation from your primary care practitioner. What if people don't have a PCP? Chicago is a city with a lot of transplants. Imagine lots of people haven't found a new general practitioner. Do we know if that's the case at this point, Dr. Murphy? Yeah, this is a big problem. And uh, this is something that structurally has to be dealt with very soon. Uh, A doctor has to order the test. Even the places that are doing the tests now, you have to have an appointment before you go in. There's still not the capacity to actually test everybody that needs the test. Everybody with a symptom, like a cold-like symptom, upper respiratory tract, lower respiratory tract, short of breath, whatever, they need the test. But it's still very difficult to get it. So any advice if someone is showing symptoms, they're concerned about exposure, if they don't have a primary care physician any guidance about what they should do? Go to an emergency room. Should they go into the emergency room or should they call first? They should call first uh, because the emergency room may have set up an alternative testing site. Many of them have done this, and it depends on where you are in the, in the state. They may uh, direct you to go to uh, an external facility, such as a, a makeshift-type uh, operation, uh, I know Rush Presbyterian has a tent outside the uh, emergency area, uh, and Northwestern is setting up a drive-through uh, to have your test. Although you still have to have an appointment to drive through. Okay. Uh, did you want to chime in here, Professor Squires? Um, yeah, and I was going to say, and, and in the case they they run into block, you know, stone, you know, block, and they can't they can't get access, then I would recommend that they self quarantine. You know, keep you know keep keep uh, keep to home, um, limit their exposure to others until they can get a test. That's we, a very good point because this rollout of the test is taking much longer than anybody uh, expected. Mm-hmm. Well, it could take weeks from where we are now. Really available, yeah. Okay. A listener emailed us this question. His name is Miguel, and he's saying, we've been told to wash our hands with soap for at least 20 seconds and to disinfect everything, but what about our toothbrush? There's mucous membrane, saliva. I use my toothbrush twice a day. Should I be taking precautions to to disinfect my toothbrush? That's a good point. Nobody ever asked that question question before. Um, But I think just uh, running it under, after you brush your teeth, just running it under hot water probably is good enough. Okay, let's go back to the phones. We have Sarah and Zion. Sarah, what's on your mind? Hi, um, I'm a teacher, and I'm, I'm glad the schools are closed mm-hmm. so that it's not spread. And But I've been reading about districts having daycare and educational activities run by volunteers. How is that going to help not spread the virus? How is that better than going to school? Professor Squires, I'll, I'll come to you on this one. Right. Well, um, I think it's trying to provide a service to those districts for for parents who are struggling to find childcare and don't have the option of of working from home, which is, I think, a great resource. 
So in this way, then they need to follow the CDC's guidance for schools, you know, um, limit, uh, keep, um, I would say, limit the number of children inside each classroom, follow good hand washing procedures, disinfecting procedures, uh, monitor for symptoms every day. So they'd have to be very vigilant. Um, and so, yes, it's it's going to be a little better than a full classroom. But again, if they, I would say they need to limit the number of people, you know, in, you know, in each classroom. Well, we got a call in the first hour of the show from an ICU physician who was struggling with just this issue of of trying to be at the hospital, do her job, but also having an issue with child care, with schools closing. So this is a a multi-layered issue. We're talking to Dr. Robert Murphy, an infectious disease expert at Northwestern University, at Northwestern Medicine, rather. And also with us is Beth Squires, professor and public health coordinator at Northern Illinois University. I want to turn to this, this whole concept now of social distancing. Everyone from health experts to the governor is recommending social distancing. But I think people have questions about what that really means beyond how much space you should be putting between yourself and other people. Does that mean staying home all day, every day? Or are we supposed to practice social distancing from our family who, who we live with? What are the best practices there? I mean, we're fortunate because thanks to for vaccines, we haven't had to do this uh, for uh, for at least 50, 60 years before the polio vaccines were developed. Um, the social distancing is really you should limit yourself to home as much. You can you can be around your family members, especially if none of you are showing symptoms. You can be in your family um, and looking at it. You can you can go for walks as a family, but keeping a minimum of six feet from anybody that you you know encounter I'm on your way. But you should be limiting yourself. You should not be going out or if you do go out, you go and pick up uh, food. I know like food delivery services are now leaving the option of leaving their food by the door so you don't have to interact uh, with someone in that way. Um, and so so really the social distancing, again, is to try to s- prevent the spread, uh, to slow the spread of the disease in the population. So really, honestly, people do need to stay home. How about avoiding public transit? Is that something we need to be doing right now? You have to divide your activities between those that are essential and those that are non-essential. If you have the means and you can, you have your own car, it's probably better you drive your own car or bicycle or whatever, other vehicle. But if you have to get someplace and, and uh, public transportation is the only way you can get there, then you have to do it. And so how do you do it? You don't get on a packed train. Uh, you wait to one that's uh, less crowded. And actually right now, in the city anyway, the trains are not very crowded. Um, you try not to touch um, with your bare hands uh, any of the steel handles or doorknobs or, or, or seats uh, and stay away from it, particularly anybody who looks ill, uh, but even just try to get as much distance between yourself and, and the other people. It's, it's nice to have one to six feet away from people, but on a, on a, on a subway or, or a crowded bus, I mean, that's sometimes not going to be possible. But try to just limit the amount of time that uh, that's ha- that uh, you're in that kind of situation. Let's go back to the phones. We've got Terry in Riverside. Terry, what's your question? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, great. Okay, sorry. You know, I had a question. You know, years ago, a buddy of mine bought me one of those toothbrush sterilizer things. You know what I mean? And I was wondering, let's say somebody, you know, these days, especially in a lot of public bathrooms, the toilets, they have a very powerful jet. You know what I mean? You know how it, like, blasts the... They're really loud and there's a lot of water. If somebody who has the COVID-19 and they do a number two 
and they flush the toilet, are there small particulates that could be then in the bathroom that are floating around that they could inhale or maybe land on the eyeball of somebody? Terry, thanks for that very specific call. Dr. Murphy? (laughs) Well, uh, they have found virus in the stool, um, but it doesn't look like uh, that is a major uh, means of transmission of the virus, fortunately, and that we should just really focus on where 99% of this thing is spreading, and that's from respiratory droplets. We got another listener question on Twitter, this one from Bobby Kay, who's asking, should we stay away from fresh veggies without a thick peel like lettuce and broccoli? Produce staff rarely wear gloves when stocking produce. Professor Squires? Um, they can, no, they can, I would still good uh, soap and water, just give them a good uh, um, scrub with soap, regular soap and water will take, you know, take care of any issues. So starting tomorrow, as we've been hearing today, all schools in Illinois will be closed for two weeks, leaving lots of parents at home with their kids. Any specific things they should keep in mind while while keeping their kids indoors? Uh, Dr. Murphy. The one thing you want to do is to keep your kids uh, with the family and uh, don't encourage uh, play groups or interaction with other kids. That basically defeats the whole purpose. Um, so you're going to have to be creative uh, and create some uh, something for your kids to do with the family. And Professor Squires, this is one of the things that I'm sort of seeing uh, parents talking about, you know, people planning playgroups because kids aren't as susceptible to the, the severe uh, aspects of COVID-19. But any more, you know, information about public health spread, like how this, how to look at this from a public health perspective? Um, right. Well, the more you in, you know encounter people outside of your immediate family, um, the more there ch- increases the chances of spread. And even though the symptoms are milder in children, you really need to think about the vulnerable members of the population. And increasing exposure to yourself increases exposure to those vulnerable members, those older members of the population or immunocompromised. So really, I know it's going to be hard, but the parents should not be, you know, should be keeping them home and not having participating in playgroups at this time. And if you're in a packed house, if you've got a bunch of kids, how do you social distance in that in that space or is it even necessary? It's not really necessary. You know, again, just follow regular hand washing, you know, definitely after anyone uses the restroom, uh, before they eat, um, you know, and so so that's that's not an issue with social distancing because you're living with the people 24-7. Well, another question a lot of people have right now is about travel. Airlines are cutting the number of flights right now, but looking ahead to summer, lots of families may have already had plans for their summer vacation. How should we be thinking about travel right now, Professor Squires? You know, in looking, I would say, in you know, in my opinion, um, looking at what happened in China, it was about three months, and you know that in length, and things are tapering out. Um, I'm hoping that that we'll see the same trend here, but it can't be guaranteed. But I would say, go ahead and make make plans. You know, go ahead and and plan for these events. But I would invest in travel insurance just in case you have to cancel. And what about plans that are just happening over the next, say, 30 days? Um, I would cancel. I, I Absolutely, would I agree. I, I think people really better think twice about uh, doing any traveling at all uh, outside of their home area in the next 90 days. 
We're talking to Dr. Robert Murphy. He's an infectious disease expert at Northwestern Medicine and Beth Squires, professor and public health coordinator at Northern Illinois University. We're also taking your calls right now at 312-923-WBEZ. That's 312-923-9239. We got another question from a listener who's wondering about whether the virus could mutate. Uh, Dr. Murphy? Well, the viruses mutate uh, frequently. Uh, so far, uh, at the most, there's two different uh, sort of substrains of this coronavirus-19, uh, but they appear to behave uh, pretty much the same. So uh, at this point, we don't have anything to worry about, but uh, that could be a problem in the future. Another question on Twitter, someone asking about gyms. Uh, they say they're pretty empty right now. Is it really possible to stay far away from people when you're, when you're trying to get in a workout? Professor Squires, any thoughts there? Um, I would say continue to work out, but again, follow um, the protocols. Like, you know, if there's, you know, um, again, disinfect the machines before you use them and after you use them. Uh, you know, so we have that courtesy to other users of the gym. And then also, if you are using a piece of equipment, like a treadmill or a bicycle, don't choose one right next to someone. So, so you know, if, since there's luckily there's less people using it, there's more of a possibility to space out. And I'm seeing a lot of gyms also doing video workouts, providing mm-hmm. some alternatives for their members uh, so they have some options. So, mm-hmm. doc, Dr. Murphy, as this continues to, to progress this story, what are, what are you watching for? Uh, what I'm watching for is what happens in the next two weeks. Uh, because we are approximately two to two and a half weeks epidemic-wise behind Italy. Uh, and if you're following the news very closely, it's, it's really a very serious crisis in Italy. We don't know if we're on the same trajectory, but that's why there's all the concern now. And if we don't take all these drastic actions now, we'll be like them. And it's, it's really quite bad there. Professor Squires, I want to hear from you too, but let's take one more quick call before we wrap. We've got Robin in Hyde Park. Robin, what's your question? Uh, it has to do with with masks. Um, uh, they're they're not recommending wearing masks, uh, except in, in. But logic tells me that any kind of a barrier between you and other people is going to cut down on what you might uh, inhale. And I'm wondering. I know it's very hard to get masks, and I'm assuming that's why they're telling you they don't do not to use them. But if you've got masks, or could you use a bandana with several layers of material to, to protect yourself? Dr. I have, Murphy, I, Dr. Murphy, yeah. going to jump in here. The reason why we're not recommending you wear a mask now to prevent getting the infection is because they don't work. Uh, the typical surgical mask that you see a lot of most people wearing. Air gets around the mask, and, and the filter of the mask itself is not very good. So it's really designed more for bacteria. Uh, and so they're useless. If you get the N95 mask, the real tight-fitting one, even that mask, uh, the filtering uh, capacity is not, not enough uh, to prevent the virus from getting in. So they're not uh, – basically, they're, they're going to give you a false sense of protection – uh, and they don't really work. For some reason in China, all people, they're all wearing the mask all the time. But uh, as you notice, we're not recommending here in the United States that you use them. Professor Squires, what, what were you going to yeah, say? I was going to say for China, it's a cultural thing. Um, it's, it's a, um, that's more of a cultural, that whenever they're sick or there's an illness, they, they wear a mask. So, Well, as we wrap yeah. up here, Professor Squires, I want to hear what you'll be watching over the coming weeks. 
Um, I'm going to be monitoring the the numbers. I'm I'm really hoping that if everyone takes this social distancing seriously, keeps family uh, home, uh, lim- you know, limits and does not uh, interact with anybody else during these next couple of weeks, maybe we can see less numbers than Italy. That's Beth Squires, professor and public health coordinator at Northern Illinois University, and Dr. Robert Murphy, an infectious disease expert at Northwestern Medicine. Professor Squires, Dr. Murphy, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. That's it for today's Reset. Hey, we want to hear what you need from the Reset team right now. We're going to keep you up to date on the state's response to COVID-19, but we realize there may be things we're not thinking about that you are. So let us know. Leave us a message on our voicemail at 888-915-9945. That's 888-915-9945. And one other thing on a separate note, I'm so glad you're listening to Reset and WBEZ that you're coming to us for reliable, fact-based information. We're glad we can provide this service to you, and we're working hard to provide this service. But we only reach the people who listen to this podcast, who listen to the station, or who read our website. And the same goes for our colleagues at news organizations across the region. But this is a time when I think a lot of us are worried and nervous, and we want to do something. Well, one thing you can do, and you don't have to leave the house to do it, you can be a responsible point of contact and information for the people you care about. There's a lot of information out there about how to respond to COVID-19, but you know it's not all reliable and some of it is dangerous. So I'm asking you as someone who cares about being informed, don't circulate information if you don't know where it came from or if it hasn't been vetted. Do point people to resources that are trustworthy. WBEZ has an active blog on our homepage with up-to-date information about COVID-19. If you go to the homepage, look in the upper right-hand side for the box marked Live Updates, What to Know Today. But that's it for today. I'm Jen White. Thanks so much for listening, and let's talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.